0: If you're listening to this episode on the day of release, Tuesday, October 10th, 2023, you might be listening while I'm flying through the air in an airplane to El Salvador. And though El Salvador is a beautiful, magnificent place, this trip is not for vacation. A few months ago, I came across a nonprofit organization online called Extra Mile Pediatrics an organization whose niche and mission is to provide repeated pediatric care to communities that face significant barriers to receiving treatment, communities in places like El Salvador and Guatemala. And for the next seven days, I get the honor of experiencing the life-changing work of Extra Mile Pediatrics in five different communities of El Salvador. So if you wanna follow along with me, Make sure to follow me on Instagram at that's hetal.baman. that's H-E-T-A-L dot B-A-M-A-N, and my LinkedIn page, where I'll be posting updates, insights, and experiences in real time. I'll also post those social links in the description below. This trip is special to me, not just because I get to tap back into my passion for service, and Not just because I get to experience a new place and new people, but because the team at Extra Mile Pediatrics have chosen to put their trust in me to share their story by sponsoring this trip, as well as some episodes of this podcast. So to say that I'm honored is truly an understatement. So thank you so much to the team at Extra Mile Pediatrics. This episode kicks off the week in El Salvador, and it features Dr. Jeff Mapp, co-founder of Extra Mile Pediatrics. He shares snapshots of his life and the stories of how he first got attracted to the world of medicine and later to the world of pediatrics through an extreme culture shock. His first international trip to help a group of pediatric neurosurgeons serve the children of Guatemala. Since then, he knew that the universe would lead him down the path of serving children in areas of the world where healthcare is the least accessible. Before we dive in, here's a little bit about Dr. Jeff Mapp. From Richmond, Virginia, originally, Dr. Mapp graduated medical school and completed his pediatric residency training in Richmond at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. Dr. Mapp has always had a passion for global health since being introduced as a volunteer with a global health group in Guatemala as an undergraduate in the late 90s. He then continued to volunteer with various global health organizations after residency until after completing an MBA at UNC Chapel Hill in 2015. He then continued to volunteer with various global health organizations after residency And after completing an MBA at UNC Chapel Hill in 2015, he began creating Extra Mile Pediatrics, and it was launched in 2018. Dr. Mapp continues to serve as the Executive Director of Extra Mile Pediatrics, as well as on the faculty at the Children's Hospital of Richmond at Virginia Commonwealth University as an Assistant Professor in Pediatrics. My name is Hetal Baman, and this is the Global Health Pursuit. I'm very excited today because today I get to interview Dr. Jeff Mapp. I'm going to call him Jeff because he gave me the permission to call him Jeff. And it's going to be a really, really fun conversation. He is the founder of Mile Pediatrics and... I am doubly excited because I'm going to be experiencing what they do in El Salvador just next month. Yeah, it's September 20th, the date that we're recording it, and just in a few weeks. I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on.
1: Yes. No, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this as well. And we are also really pumped to have you on board. So yeah, we're like three weeks away from our our trip to El Salvador that you're going to join us for. So uh, yeah, awesome.
0: First things first, I really just want to ask you about yourself, your story, you know, what your educational background is and what sparked your passion in pediatrics.
1: Sure. Yeah. Interestingly, the, the story of what got me into, you know, got me excited about medicine as a career is is also very much the same story that got me interested in global health they both kind of have at least launched from a from a from the same place so when i i'm i'm from richmond virginia when i was i'm the oldest of of three boys when that i was a fun
0: growing up
1: it, yeah, it was a fun household my 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 mom has a has a a picture in her bathroom that says there's a special place in heaven for the mother of three boys and i think mm. we we definitely made her her appreciate that that role you know so I was the first to leave our leave home for for college and at that basically at that exact point in time you know i went to school not not knowing exactly what i wanted to do with myself Mm -hmm. um just interested in you know in being a college student and and kind of i went to a liberal arts school and my plan was to go i had a few things i liked but i didn't know where you know what what my path was within a couple of weeks of being gone um my parents contacted me my youngest brother who's about nine years younger than i am had had some, some difficulties with seizures over the six mm-hmm. or 12 months or maybe a little bit longer before I left to go to school. And, you know, so his process in terms of the workup of that and the treatment of that was ongoing. And right after I would left to go to school, my parents contacted me and said, you know, your brother had an MRI and it actually showed a brain tumor. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and so obviously, you know, that's, that's crazy and scary and unsettling and all the things at any point but you know for someone who's just left to go to school and you're away from your family for the first time and all those things it was just it, it just rocked you know rocked all of us obviously but very shortly after that i don't know how many days but it was days after that they called me again and i just remember that conversation i'll never forget that conversation because my mom just said we met with the neurosurgeon and it's all going to be good And she just, and I'm like, you know, tell me Mm -hmm. about that. She's like, I just had this overwhelming confidence and, and peace that, that this surgeon that we met had, had it under control. And, 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 and really, I think from that moment, I appreciated that as a physician, he understood that he was treating my brother, but he was really treating our whole family. And he, you know, the, the way he cared for, you know, all the angst and all the, you know, all of that, that was that was not just his patient, but you know, the 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 group around him was just phenomenal. And then he you know, and then he did. He 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 had surgery, it was very successful. You know, my brother is still doing great. He's a father of three. He's, you know, but looking back on that, that process was like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, this is just unbelievable. And and that was that that grabbed me. And especially at that moment in life, being eighteen, being a freshman in college, it was just the right thing at the right time. So Wow. The interesting tie-in to global health is, you know, my family, we don't have anyone in medicine in my family. My mom's a teacher. My dad's a, at the time was in banking. And so, you know, my mom at a follow-up with my brother with that same physician said, Hey, you know, Jeff wants to go to medical school now because of you. Do you have any? Oh,
0: that's so funny. She said, do you no. have any
1: suggestions for him? And he said, well, does he speak Spanish? And my my mom, being a great mom, was like, he speaks great Spanish which was (laughs) was definitely probably I was yeah I was like in Spanish two or three at the time and you know I could barely ask you know where the you know directions to the restroom or whatever right so anyway he said you know why don't you send them with me? I go to Guatemala. I take groups of residents, you know, to Guatemala to do neurosurgical missions and, and all those kind of things. And so, you know, my mom calls me at school and says, "You know, gr- great work, gr- uh, great news. Uh, I signed you up to be an interpreter <laughs> on a neurosurgical oh mission gosh. in Guatemala." And I went, oh, I'm like, first, thank you. That's amazing that you. Yeah. But second, oh my gosh, I'm just nowhere near equipped. I, I mean, I, you know." Anyway, but I went, you know, I got, I just, I dove in and certainly they didn't end up really using me as an interpreter. I went and I just was an extra set of hands. Right. And, and I went with no medical experience at all and just was excited to help. I would carry boxes. I would, you know, hold patients. I would, whatever the case may be, whatever the the team needed me to do, I just jumped in and kind of helped where I could. But the interesting piece is that that allowed me to – my very first exposure to the practice of medicine, to, to that side of things, was in Guatemala, in a place where, you know, many of our patients had had traveled hours, if not days, just to get to that clinic. and right. And the resources and the access and all, you know, that was my very first exposure to medicine. And so everything that then came after that, you know, medical school, residency, all of those things, I've always, you know, seen – medicine here in the States through this lens of, you know, the reality of what's out there. And so I think that, you know, that obviously had something to do with, with the start of just a career in medicine, but it very clearly also had something to do with me always wanting to get back to serving in those areas and with those populations, because just the the awareness was always there as far as resources and access and all that kind of thing, depending on where you're born.
0: That is such, I think, a valuable experience. I don't think my parents would have, even if I said I wanted to go back to India, like my parents would be like, heck no, not at that age. Like, you know, it's very dangerous, all of that. I don't think I I went on my first service trip or even like experienced India until, like experienced the poverty side of India I don't know until I was maybe like 25. Right. You know. Right. And you know that, you know, I had I have these stories that my dad would tell me where he would sleep on the sidewalk because they had a two two room apartment and it was with him and seven brothers and sisters and his mom and dad and sometimes even the grandparents were there. And just to imagine that He would sleep on the sidewalk because that was where the coolest, the coolest area was. It's just interesting because you just don't, you can't picture it in your mind until you're actually there. Correct. Like, oh, this is this is the actual situation, and now I can, now I understand why my dad can sleep wherever, you know, because like (laughs) once you sleep on the cement ground, (laughs) that's right. Right, you can sleep wherever. But I think that's just so. That's so interesting. So you were a freshman then?
1: So I ended up – it was actually the summers. I, I ended up going twice. I just – I loved it. I couldn't get enough. Yeah. And I went the summer after my sophomore year in college and then again the summer after my junior year in college. So.
0: And so the first time that you like stepped onto like Guatemala
1: – Right, earth, right, You right. know,
0: <laughs> what was your first impression? Because like what, what did you expect to see –
1: You know, it's interesting. And I think that ties into your point about, about, you know, at that age and going and that's a big, you know, that's a big deal. But there was a lot of, I was, you know, naive, honestly. And I, I don't know that there was a lot of thought. My thought process at the time was, man, this is great this doctor is amazing and I get to spend time with him and this may help me get into medical school. Like at the time, I think that was my mindset, right? I was doing yeah. this because it was, your <laughs> this was, a yeah, this was a resume yeah. builder and, and, right. and, you know, it was also an opportunity to see, is this actually what I want to do with my life? Right. It was an, it was an opportunity Almost at
0: the extreme end too. Right.
1: So it was, right? so that, I mean, that was my mindset going in though. I didn't spend a lot of time. I mean, I was looking at it really primarily from those two, angles right do what is this what I want to do and this will give me a good opportunity to see that and if I want to do this then this will clearly potentially make my resume stand out you know a little bit and so <clears throat> I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about you know the safety aspect of it to be honest right. or the or the poverty or where we're going to stay or what's what are the conditions going to be you know all the things now, now that we are spending a lot of times answering our our answering questions with our volunteers, you know, all the is it safe and what are we going to do for food? And, you know, all of those things, which are all super important. I was a college student. I was 19, 20 years old. I wasn't thinking about that stuff. And I think, you know, that's part of the story too. I think that's part, you know, there's, there's a right time for all of this. And, and, and I think sometimes people feel like, you know what, this sounds great, but I'm not in a place where I can handle that right now. And I just was at that point, right. I was just in that place. I was, young and you know experimental you know what I, mean? I was willing to right. take chances and I was willing you know that kind of thing so I didn't have a lot of expectations and I do I do remember I also had not really done any international travel I mean I, I was this was my first step out of you know wow. your mm-hmm. your sort of shell that you that you grow up in and so it just was all unbelievably you know it just was mind blowing. I mean, you know, it, it's just the the expansion in the, in the perspective that you immediately are thrust into. If you've spent your whole childhood growing up in, you know, middle-class America, and then you go there, it's, it's really, it it's, there's just no way to really put it into words. Yeah. It's just it's the whole thing. It's like, wow, it's just a culture shock. Exactly. So I, I don't know that I had a lot of expectations. I think that probably was a good thing. Not right. that it was, I mean, cause I came home with nothing but positive memories, literally nothing. I, I didn't, I didn't feel unsafe. I didn't, I found the the people and the, and the places to be incredibly warm and welcoming and I never felt unsafe. And, you know, it was, it was a wonderful experience all the way around. And, and I haven't had an experience that wasn't that way since every time I'm there, I feel that way.
0: Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are, would you do me a tiny favor? Show me some love by doing one or more of these three things. A, click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars toward the production of this podcast. My dream is to do this full time and your support would mean the world. B, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love it just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. It's always the first service trip that you just never like, forget. Because I remember the same thing with me. It's when I went to India for a few weeks to work in the slums, the slum schools. And there's this little boy named Shivam who would just like latch on to me, <laughs> and he used to take me around. He did like he gave me little tours of where they lived and where his friend lived, and then, you know, his mom would make me chai, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's just yeah, that's that kind of thing just never leaves you. Okay, you, so you went on this trip with a neurosurgeon, right? Tell me about the neurosurgeon aspect of things in, in Guatemala and then kind of pivoting to finding pediatrics and you know learning about that and then pursuing that as your career.
1: Right. Well it you know importantly this was a, a pediatric neurosurgical mission so that it was okay. there's always been a pediatric component you know, to what I've, I was exposed to from the, from the get-go. And, and I do think that there is a tie-in there, you know, in, in Central America in particular, and I think in, in many places where, you know, resource limited places, neural tube defects are just much, much, much more common, right? And just what be- is that? So things like spina bifida, hydrocephalus, oh, basically wow. defects during development, kind of congenital defects that are, that right. involve the, the, the spinal column, are more common. And and a lot of that has to do with folate, you know, a lot of, you know, the lack of prenatal care, the lack of prenatal vitamins, the lack of, you know, folate enriched foods, those kinds of, of things really set them up. And so I think, you know, there's a, just with the incidents there, there was a huge need for that particular service. Um, And I took away a lot from those trips that, that really started to impact, you know, when we were starting to think through forming extra Mile pediatrics, there were pieces, even though that was a neurosurgical mission, there were a pieces of the, of the way they were doing things, the, the way, and, and, and really the why that really impacted how, how we chose to kind of set our things up, you know, with, with Global health kind of service work. There's always a, a risk, right? There's always a mm. risk of doing more harm than good, and those kind of things. And right. I think you always have to think through how you set up your process and how you approach care and where, to, to some degree, um, so that you're not undermining the the existing health system, so that you're just you're only supporting it, so that you're considering. What's the sustainability? What are these patients? You know, what's their access like when the team is not there? You know, those kind of things all have to be considered, and right. you know, this was 1999, I think, the first time I was there, and so even for almost 25 years ago, I feel like the team was very good about trying to mitigate some of those. It's hard to mitigate all of them, but it, it was really they did a great job of that. So, you know, my big takeaways were the need was was phenomenal the the tie in of the need to access resources geography all the all the barriers that that some of these families were facing to to having good healthy you know access to healthcare so that was definitely definitely a takeaway i will say that you know pivoting as you said to to my eventual career path in medicine i found that I think I've always just thought I would be in pediatrics. Even if it was a subspecialty, I always thought I just, I'm drawn to kids. Uh, I'm very comfortable with kids. Kids are comfortable around me. It's just always been the way it is. But also going back to that origin story we talked about, I also love that, that family connection, right? Mm -hmm. That you're taking Mm -hmm. care of the whole family, that you're, you're partnering with the families essentially to just be a small part in the raising of that child or those children and and I and I love that and I and I think you know I I eventually found that one of my skill sets is is that communication and that that view of of right. of it being a partnership and and that kind of rapport building and, and those kind of things and so the surgical aspect came became a little less important to me and really what it was really that bond and I think as a general pediatrician you really you do you do get to be involved over the long term, whereas if you are you know more procedure based like a surgeon is, it's a snapshot right and, and nice. they're they're involved but it's sort of you're you, you're you're in there you do what you're there for you do some follow up and that's it but really the pediatrician is the one that's going to continue to walk with that family, and that just fit me that just fit me better I loved what they did I'm I'm in awe of what um, neurosurgeons and pediatric neurosurgeons do, but it was really the pediatric aspect it was really the the family care holistic 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 approach that that was attractive to me
0: you know growing up I actually that was that was actually a career that I was thinking about if I were to go into medical school because I have a whole slew of cousins who are doctors in my family so I just thought that I was going to go to medical school as well and then obviously that didn't happen (laughs) But pediatrics was always something that I was thinking about as well because, you know, the, the children, the aspect with, you know, working with kids was always something that attracted me as well. I want to ask you about your process in terms of founding extra mile pediatrics, because as I understand you didn't think about founding, you know, founding a nonprofit until way later after that first few service trips and getting your medical degree and all of that. So kind of coming back to right. starting a nonprofit, what, what was, what were your initial thoughts and process?
1: Well, it's, you're right. There was, you know, there's a fairly large gap between those first few exposures as an undergrad, you know, 19, 20 years old, and then ultimately where we are now. And I think the first portion of that time gap was really just, you know, one, I was fortunate enough to get into medical school and then residency and then, you know, having two young <laughs> children of my own and right. just not feeling, again, we talked about it. Sometimes you're just not in that place where you can 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 commit the time and the and the energy to this. And, and I wasn't for a bit, but I, it was always there. It was always on my heart to sort of say, this, as soon as I can, I'm getting back to this work. Yeah. And what that ended up looking like for me and for my family was somewhere in the six to seven years after residency, my kids had grown a little bit. We'd sort of established, you know, I'd worked long enough that I'd built up some time off and, you know, those kind of things, all those factors lined up. And I started just jumping back in, knowing that I wanted this kind of work. I started jumping back in with organizations that were already in existence and, and, and doing yeah. global health work. And so- I had the opportunity to go with a couple of different groups um, to Nicaragua and I went to Africa and just sort of, I always would come home from those trips absolutely fulfilled. I I would, I would feel, you know, there was a ton of purpose in what we were doing and I loved it. I loved it. And I loved those organizations. I still do. But I also would come home with this little pull to say, man, I wish we could just, have changed this aspect of this or this, you know, that kind of, that kind of thought process was always like, I want to just change this, but it wasn't my, it wasn't my, it wasn't, your or, wasn't my organization. And so, uh, you know, those kind of thoughts were sort of, I was almost like creating a little bit of a list of, if this were me, this is how I would do this differently. And then for, for very different reasons in 2013, I went back to school. I had been in private practice, uh, general pediatrician and, and and sort of, you know, part owner of a private group. And we, as a group decided that we really needed to have some financial leadership, just given the way market pressures were going in medicine and all those things. So I, I went to business school and Mm -hmm. I went and got an MBA, uh, at UNC Chapel Hill. And that was 2013 to 2015. And that really was pivotal. Um, I had gone, (laughs) I certainly went, um, with the thought process and the understanding that this was just to help run a business. It really, right. I didn't, I wasn't thinking of it in terms of global health work, but very shortly thereafter, after finishing that work, I was back in Nicaragua again. And this time actually I was with my wife, my wife's a pediatric nurse. Um, and we, we're serving together on this team. And every night, every night we would come in from clinic and she had to listen to me talk about, man, we just need to switch this. And wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? (laughs) And by the end of the week, it was, you know, and having just finished that, that business education where, where if you have a, you know, quote unquote, disruptive thought, if you have something that's different, if you have a model that's then you then you just do it right and so i can't i came home from that trip and and the combination of those pieces is really what led to extra mile pediatrics it was having this ongoing list of ways i would do things a little bit differently and then having really the this maybe skill set or education or just exposure to a thought process really in terms of you know the business aspect of it and everything pointed towards, I think we're supposed to start something on, you know? And so my wife and I just got back to the States and got to work. We just first started saying, here's how we would structure it in an ideal world. And then let's go make sure that's not already out there. Cause if it's out there already, right. we want to support that. And that's always, right. that's always our mindset. You know, if someone's already doing it th- this way, let's just jump on board and do what we can to support them. And we felt like, It wasn't really, I mean, you know, there's, and, and with global health work, it's tough because there's a lot of small groups that are just doing very grassrootsy thing. And so there may be folks doing it this way, but it really wasn't obvious. And my thought process was, let's just get it started. Let's just go and, and build and see what, see what comes of it.
0: Yeah. You know, that was actually going to be another question I was going to ask as to, you know, why start extra mile pediatrics as opposed to do like, you know, just jump on board with another nonprofit. And that totally answered my question. I think that even if you do find other small grassroots, you know, organizations, there's always an opportunity to partner. Absolutely. For sure. You know,
1: as opposed to in lots of the business world, right this isn't a competition thing there's need right everywhere right and so this isn't like oh we've got to get to market with this disruptive thought so i, I that's why i said you know quote unquote disruptive it's really not that it's it's we're not trying to compete we're just trying to say hey we're going to start doing this and 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 the more resources we can bring to an organization and the more infrastructure we can build just the more you know, service we're going to be able to take on, you know, the more areas we're going to be able to, to serve. And so whatever that looks like, and I think most people working in this space have that mindset. And so it's not a, it's not a competitive environment. It's like, oh, that's cool. The way you're doing it, we're going to do it a little bit this way. And let's see if we can work together. And you know, there's a lot of collaboration. And it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the one difference between nonprofit and for profit. Right, for sure. Yeah. So talk about you were talking about you know, forming this unique model for extra mile pediatrics. Talk about your first few trips as a nonprofit and kind of tweaking that model.
1: Well, our, our thought process was there's a lot of groups out there that will intermittently be visiting and, you know, areas to, to serve areas of, need. Right. and many of them are, are, are going and serving large numbers of patients and doing a lot of good. But what we found, and so going to that that trip that I, we were a part of in Nicaragua was, you know, I was there as a as a group of physicians and nurses and those kind of things. I was the only pediatrician there. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really struck me, you know, I think there were seven of us providers, and it, so it was, you know, myself as a pediatrician, then a bunch of adult providers, so internists. We had some subspecialists and all those kind of things, and they were all phenomenal. But you know, when you go into these Areas where folks don't really have good access to healthcare, they're gonna come to clinic whether they have an acute issue or not. They're gonna, right. they, you know, they're gonna come and say, like, I just want to get checked out. And if you have children, you're gonna bring your kids. Right. If you're right. a mom or a dad in those areas and all of a sudden there's an access to a physician, as parents, you go, well, you're just gonna
0: put them on their backs. My kids,
1: just- my kids first, right? And they and right. every single parent out there would say I'd rather you see my kids than me. If if there's a question, right. all of us would be great. But I'd rather you see them. And the reality is, for every patient that showed up at that clinic, you know, they would have one, two, three, four children with them, and all of the adult
0: got all of my
1: adult <laughs> counterparts, you know, especially the younger the child and the smaller the child, would sort of see them come in through the triage area, and then they would look and say, "Where's Jeff? He's got these know. you know these kids," which was awesome. You know, it was phenomenal, but I mean, and don't get me wrong, just like you don't want me to be the one taking care of an 80-year-old with hypertension, like that's not my skill set, right? I'm, you know, give me the three-month-old and let's talk, you know? So what I found though is with every one of those parents that would come through, I shouldn't say everyone, but with many, many, many of those parents, they would come in and I would just say, how can we help you today? And one of the first comments was very often something like, I think he's too skinny Mm. or, he eats all the time and doesn't seem to gain weight. Right. Or is it okay that she doesn't say very many words, you know, it it was, Mm -hmm. and so we would talk through and we would, you know, and, and and I would, I would explain that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to say too skinny. Right. And it's really hard to say that if I'm only going to see you one time, because what matters to me as a pediatrician, what matters to me is, not so much where are you on your growth chart right what matters right. to me is what's the what's the rate of
0: growth trajectory right yeah. how are you
1: growing over time that's going to give me so much more information and so i found that and that was the same with development you know are they saying enough you know words for their age or, or however they were articulating that question that's kind of that was at the root and and what they were asking and same thing right it obviously there are standards for where you should be developmentally based on your age, but I also want to know what's your progression. Is this a static thing? Are we not gaining, you know, or where were we three months ago and where will we be six months from now? And so I just found, you know, those issues, which are absolutely at the foundation of what pediatricians do, right. That, that, and frankly, you know, with that's, that's also should be at the foundation of like sustainable impact. If I'm not going to be in front of these patients all the time. Let's talk about things that are going to, you know, set them up for healthy way down the road thing. Uh, and so I came away from, and that was, that was the case in a lot of different areas. And I, and I came away from that saying, you know, I really can't do this well, unless I can see that family again, I would come home at night and I, mm. and, and we, my wife and I would be chatting and I'm like, man, I need to see that kid again in three months or six months or whatever and talk to that mom again. And then she will, then she'll see what I'm saying when I say like, it's about over time and that kind of thing. And so at the heart of extra mile pediatrics model is that, is that we are committed to only starting those relationships with these areas. If we know we can have that follow-up. Right. And so not every area is going to work for us at Extramile we pediatrics. We're, we're, there's going to be locations where based on the geography, the population, the, you know, is it a, is it a very, you know, kind of migrant nomadic community or are they mm-hmm. really all in the same place? You know, those kind of things, we go in and do a lot of investigation on the front end and a lot of discussion with the community leaders and all those things to say like, you know, A, what's already in place here? What kind of health access do you have? Because again, if you have good access to, to care or really even decent access to care, we don't want to come in and disrupt that. We don't want to come in and undermine right. that because that, that's the goal. We'd rather come in and support that or you know, figure out. But if you really don't have access to care, then part two would be, if, if we commit to continuing to come back to this exact location, do you feel it's reasonable? We, we're going to see the same families. Right, Right. and that's our space. That's where we work, and so that's that's at the heart of of what we do. Um, In terms of all of the communities that we're now working in, we have that kind of relationship where it's it, it checks those boxes as an as an area or as a community, and then we go back at least every six months to the exact same location, right? And working with local community leaders and local, you know, in some cases local nonprofits to say like, can you help us communicate to that community that this is the day we're going to be back there? And and so we can actually answer those questions. We can say, you know, when we first encounter that parent, we can say, come back and see us. We're going to be here in January or we're going to be here in July or, or whatever that next thing. I want you to come back and let's have this discussion again and let's talk about growth rate and let's talk about how much we've developed over time and let's talk about what we can do to support
0: that. You said that there's almost like a criteria right um in terms of what communities would be best so what what did that look like for how many communities are you in in el salvador
1: so i I usually tell people five, some of them are a little five. more loosely defined than others. There are a couple of days in a row where we use the same location, um, mm-hmm. but it serves kind of communities that are all within twenty or thirty minutes in terms of for the families. And so that one, you know, there's a little, it's a little less defined, but the point is we do five different clinic days and, and we, we, I think we serve about five different communities there.
0: Okay. And those communities, what did the health system look like before coming in?
1: So they, it's, you know, there is a public health system there, which all of the patients that we're serving, that would be there. You know, they, they also have a version of a private health system in, in most of these areas, which essentially amounts to you know, if, you, if you're doing well enough financially to be able to afford it, you can access gotcha. private doctors, but at a premium, right? You're paying, you're paying for right. that service and the patients that we're serving aren't in that kind of a position. So they do have a public health system. And we have, in fact, the very first time we were in El Salvador to look at this area, the first place we went was the public health clinic that that is sort of the service location for all of these communities we went there mm-hmm. first we met with the director of that of that health system who works for the ministry of health in el salvador just to say just to say all the things we've talked about that we don't want to come in and undermine we don't want we'd rather work with you how can we be of best service you know are there areas you feel like it's hard for even you to reach we asked all right. of those questions to say like and we found them to be incredibly warm, welcoming and wanting to partner. They wanted our, our help. They welcomed it. <clears throat> and then together we sort of looked at, you know, the reality that they face, which they had such great programs, they're great, you know, the docs that we met are phenomenal, but they're it's 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 underfunded a little bit. You know, they're mm-hmm. certainly they're also under-resourced. Right. And so they, you know, what it, the reality for our patients and now that we've had a long, you know, we've been in El Salvador for about five years now and have long standing relationships with a lot of these families. And in those discussions, you know, they'll share, they'll say, you know, we would go to the health clinic if something was desperately wrong. Right. We mm-hmm. did the, the reality of taking that day off from dad's work or trying to find transportation, whatever that looks like. Using resources to get to the clinic, which is a big undertaking, and then sitting there because that that clinic is trying to serve so many patients, you right. you know you no, you don't know how long you're going to wait to be seen, and then you might be seen and they say yes you know you have a pneumonia but unfortunately we're out of the antibiotic that you need and they'll write it on a piece of paper and say here's what you need to go get and they don't have the resources to go purchase it so you know i what that ends up doing over time is it means we're you know the reality is it's really not great access i mean there is a theoretical access but it's really not it's just not on given the circumstances that they're facing so that that was sort of the reality for most of the patients that we have and, and the reality of what everybody's struggling with to try to provide care and 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 all of those things and where Extramile Pediatrics fits in specifically is that that essentially takes away the idea of like well child checks, right? You're not going to, again, you're not going to go like we do here in the States where you take your child, to, you know, at two months, four months, six months, nine months, right. 12 months, all of those things to say, like, how are we growing and like, what should we be doing as far as food introduction and, you know, all of the questions that we have as parents when we take our kids to well child care are. You know, th- those are all getting bypassed and sort of solved at a community level with other parents right. who have gone through it and those kind of things, which is great and oftentimes actually a very valuable resource. Yeah. But it doesn't give docs that opportunity to talk about, like, well, why do we keep having these coughing fits? Maybe it's asthma, maybe it's allergies. Can we do something on a preventive level to sort of help with that? Or, you know, let's look at this growth. And I think we need to somehow figure out ways to up calories or, you know, those kinds of tweaks and, and they're, they're so impactful over time. If you, especially if you're catching them early, but that's just not a reality. That's just not, you know, the reality is you're going to go if you really have to go.
0: Yeah, you have to go. It's like either going to urgent care or the ER (laughs) almost.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So So that's the space we try to work in. And honestly, that's also the space where we just find that's where in this type of work, that's where the value is, right? It's because it's preventive kind of chronic care management, longitudinal type things, and it's children. And that's the other thing about, you know, extra mile pediatrics and why I feel as a general pediatrician, you know, pediatricians are, are ideally situated to make this kind of impact even if it's not like an ongoing brick and mortar clinic that's staffed Mm -hmm. every single day if you can get there and do that kind of care not just get down and treat a cough that's happening right that moment you know or or if you can do that kind of care you're it is sustainable impact Uh, and and you've got this kind of overtime trajectory kind of course changing stuff it's really it's 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 i think we're ideally Mm -hmm. positioned to do this
0: That's amazing. The other question I had was in terms of documentation, because I'm sure that you see a ton of kids every time you go down there. How do you keep track of, you know, each kid and their symptoms? And even with the story that you told about, you know, is my child speaking enough or is he growing enough? Talk about the... You know keeping track of each kid
1: right well, that's definitely something that's evolved over the five years that we've been doing this, which has been kind of fun to be a part of as well. I mean it's definitely one of our biggest challenges, but it's been fun as well at the uh, at the outset um it was it was as simple as us creating essentially a paper chart yeah. system you know we would document on a on a paper chart we would collect enough demographic information as the patient came in that we could then identify it at a subsequent at a subsequent visit and then we would fill in you know exam findings and all that but to your point this we need to watch development on this child or we need to really focus on growth rate at our next visit or, or whatever the case may be right. and we would transport these papers with us and and, and essentially match them at, at a subsequent visit we'd match them up hey have you been have you been to our clinic before and and that's actually easier than than it sounds because these communities are not huge and you there's a lot of recognition right off the bat about, right. oh, i remember you from last time and then we find the chart and then let's talk about and we have their you know we have their height and their weight and and whatever at the last time and we have them today six months later and we've like again at the onset we're using like our growth charts were just laminated growth charts and we had dry right. erase markers and we're drawing out their growth rates and showing them to parents and that's evolved. We've had we've been incredibly fortunate to have some volunteers from the Bay Area in California that have that have jumped on board and been just super pivotal for us. And and one of them is a fantastic IT person and has actually we've kind of developed an, an electronic medical record, oh, wow. um, so that we can do all this digitally, which is huge. Now electronic medical records probably overstating it. it is very much just a digital version of that initial paper but we have it it's there's growth charts and it will plot these children over time and we have like legitimate you know world health organization growth chart data on these kids so it's it's become a lot easier and i think that's going to lend itself to a lot of great information and about trends and things that we can make more impact on as we go
0: yeah i think You know, having everything in a digital format, it just makes everything so much easier.
1: Well, it ends up being it ends up being a huge cost saver, too, because after a certain point in time, we had, uh, you know, file expandable file folders that were taking up entire suitcases. So that's yeah, that (laughs) that 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 had to go.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So how many kids would you say on average um, you'd see every trip?
1: We see almost always we see between 300 and 350 kids in, in a week. So over a five wow. to six over five to six clinic days we've almost never been outside of that range I think the most we've ever seen was 344 and then uh, maybe the fewest I think we had one trip where we saw about 288 290 um yeah it's all it's very predictable you know and and a lot of that's driven by you know again when we're going in on the front end and looking at these communities what can you know we, we don't want to be a group that shows up and say oh we can only see the this number and the rest of you i'm sorry right and so it does it does end up impacting what we do with how big the communities are or how much time we devote if it's a bigger community we'll go there several days in a row right and so make sure because i think it sets you up if you're only able to see some that then The way you prioritize that it just gets it gets a little messy and and it doesn't fit our model our model is we want to see you even if you're not sick even if there's not something acute because there's so much value in that development growth nutrition reassurance for answering mom questions dad questions those kind of things and so there's so much value in that that we don't want to prioritize by who's who's got a complaint and who's sick we want to just say let's see you
0: right now, okay, so this is this is an interesting thought that I had. I think in the beginning of our conversation, you were saying that when you would go on these other service trips that would serve, like, the entire family, and then they would bring their kids. Do you ever have patients that come in and say, I know that this is, like, a pediatric clinic, but I also need help as an adult? How do you navigate that?
1: So – One of the, so that, yes, that happens and it's tricky because again, really think there's a good, there's a really good way to do global health. And then there's a dangerous way to do global health. And I think going in and trying to do something outside of your scope is, is not the best. And, and at the end of the day, it's better, you're better off being, just being honest from the get go and saying, this is not, you know, let me help plug you in. Let me see what resources we can help. Get you to, but right. it's not me. I'm a I'm a pediatrician. Now we've had we've had some trips. You know our volunteers are generally have pediatric backgrounds, but we do sometimes have a family practitioner. Um, we've had some um, family practice nurse practitioners. We've had an ER doc once or twice, and so if that's in their skill set, that's the first thing I'll do is ask. Like, are you comfortable seeing this patient? We may not have what we need because, of course, our medicines that we're bringing and our equipment that we're bringing are mostly right. pediatric. But do you want to just give that a shot and then just help? And and sometimes that's just gathering enough information to sort of help us guide the process. I think the biggest thing is it's those partnerships that we're creating in these communities that we can plug them into something, right? And so – in both, you know, in both in Guatemala and in El Salvador, we have created partnerships with folks that are there that are, you know, nonprofits or organizations that are working there and they're not pediatric organizations. They're doing education or, you know, religion or what they, they're, they're working in, in communities in other ways. And so generally we can use that connection and say, you know, this gentleman needs help. Can you, you know, that kind of a thing. And so uh, that's, yeah. We just we just try to go in with a very honest approach and not try to operate outside of our scope because there, I think there's some danger in that and I think you know for better or worse those patients are coming in with a level of trust right off the bat and and right. what what you don't want to oh, they're the American doctors they probably know and then me saying something that may not be accurate they would take that to heart and so that's not the right way to go the right way to go is to say I actually don't know exactly what to do but here's a contact. Here's someone who can reach out to you next week. Here's, you know, whatever the case may be so that we can get you the help you need.
0: Yeah. I think there's a, there's a line that you don't want to cross there. So in terms of wins and just things that you've seen over the past five years, do you have any stories of like kids that have just, just made it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
1: So I have, you know, I have two or three that come right to mind and at, at very different levels, right? So, so one that comes to mind right away. So we started, you know, after being in these communities for a couple of years and really starting to learn them well, what specific barriers do they face? What, you know, what, what are their realities looking like? You know, on the ground and having those discussions and kind of building that trust. I think the next stage of our work is to start building some programs that ultimately will can, can live on beyond extra mile being here and, and those kind of things. Yeah. And so one example of that is we started a vision program. With the help of a of a local eye doctor here in our hometown in the states, we developed a program with some using some technology. We have a, a digital auto refractor, uh, some Snellen eye charts, and we sort of created a protocol for where we're screening visions. There's always some risk to doing something like that because you 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 want to be able to to act if you find. You know that there's a problem and so we along with that we built a process for providing vision correction if we find children that need it right so with glasses or whatever the case may be um and so we developed that process and to make a long story short there's a kiddo who uh he's about nine years old and he's in a community called la presa in el salvador and we saw him a couple of trips back and when i was there in april his mom came up to me and gave me this big hug and she was super i actually did not recognize mom at all and she was like i just have to tell you how grateful i am i couldn't make it last time to your clinic because i was working but i sent my son with our neighbor and that's a very common thing these folks live in community so well and they support each other so a neighbor had brought this little boy and and she said and you guys gave him glasses last time and he was struggling so much in school he was getting headaches he was just like really getting frustrated by school all of those things and now he loves school he's having such a great time you know all of these things and she's just like i can't thank you enough and i sort of you know my thing on that is again in the realities these patients face if there's a kid who's struggling with vision you know things are a little blurry they're having headaches often yeah. they're getting frustrated at school the answer isn't, well, let's go to the doctor because that's a huge deal. It takes a ton of resources. They've got to go find – I mean, right. that's not just going to the public clinic. That's sort of where can we find the eye doctor and then can we get mm-hmm, the glasses? Mm-hmm. And and that is such an overwhelming hill to climb.
0: And how much is the glasses? And going how to much fall? is it
1: going to – all of those yeah. – that's such an overwhelming hill to climb. They're not going to do it. And it's not because they don't want to. It's because they sort of can get by without it and so this kid ends up grinding right Right. they're going to school being frustrated sometimes maybe even stopping going to school you know they're dealing with headaches all of those kind of things and so it's a super simple it's low-hanging fruit it's a simple fix right um and it's not actually even all that costly at the end of the day to an organization like us to to do that but it's so impactful this kid's trajectory again going to that sustainable impact kind of thing you know if he's going to school and actually enjoying it and staying engaged longer, think about what that does for his future, right? It's unbelievable. And so that stands out because it's really, it just fits our model. So well, those kinds of programs and those kinds of things are exactly what we want to create. So on one side of thing, things, that's, that's an example that comes right to mind because it's a simple fix and it makes a huge difference on the flip side. There's one other one that I want to share from July. We have a patient that we met, I think July of 2022 in Guatemala. And he was a patient that came in at literally as we were packing up to to leave the clinic site for the day, it was five o'clock or 5.30. And this patient, mom carries him in. He's about four years old, five years old. She carries him in and he has, you know, pretty much right away you look and he has cerebral palsy, right? So he's got some Mm -hmm. physical limitations and he's nonverbal and all those things. But our team, we had two nurses with us on that team who that was their niche, right? They were, they were nurses very experienced in that sort of complex care world. They had worked a lot with patients that had more physical needs and, and all those kind of things. And they rolled out a yoga mat while we were cleaning up clinic. They rolled out a yoga yeah. mat and were just working with mom and, and working with the patient. And they came up to me, both of them, came up to me sort of as we were finishing and they said this kid, I think could really, his strength and his mobility, I think he could actually like really benefit if we could get him some, some supplies. Like he's a kiddo who could potentially, you know, with the right braces or with, you know, the a walker, maybe, you know, this is the kind of kiddo at home who would be getting physical therapy, you know, all the time and be working right. with physical medicine and rehab doctors and all of those kind of things. And, and and over time, potentially really progressing from a mobility standpoint and, and all those kind of things and reducing the burden on mom, right? Mom's carrying this child everywhere and he's continuing to get big, bigger. And so, so those nurses said, we really could, th- this is a patient that could really benefit if we can do this, that, and the other. And one of them in particular kind of just, and she's been super, super supportive and and involved and just a pivotal part of extra mom pediatrics. Her name is Kayla she went and and sort of once we got back to the States, obtained a bunch of different options, right? As far as some braces for him, some shoes that were big enough that would fit over the braces. She got a walker, all of those kind of things. We kept in contact with mom through our um, program coordinator. He was calling down and checking on the family and saying, Hey, when we're back in the area, we're going to bring some supplies, hang in there. You know, we're whatever. Uh, Again, knowing that they just didn't have that, that there wasn't the alternative from a realistic standpoint for this family. Well, just this past July, so maybe two months ago now, we were back in Guatemala and Kayla and I um, drove down to this community and uh, met mom at breakfast. Actually, we went to a restaurant and we started setting this kiddo up and with all the equipment and she was so grateful and it was, it was an amazing thing. He didn't really love it in that moment. He was like, what is all this stuff you're giving me and (laughs) putting on me? But so, you know, we, we just had a nice time with him and then we left. Well, mom who has our WhatsApp number, literally two days later, we're still in Guatemala. We're just in a different community. She sends us a video and this kiddo is literally walking across uh, a, a stretch right outside his home with this walker completely independently, you know, mom not. And and the mom is just like beside herself because she's had to carry this child everywhere. Right. Like he can crawl and he can, but this was him just motoring two days after we had brought him this, the, this, this Walker. And then, and then not maybe, I don't know, three or four days after that, she sends us another video. Now he's walking without the Walker with the braces on. I kid you not, it was unbelievable. And it's just in a week span and, and really, you know, again, it's kind of low hanging fruit. It was just a matter of getting him those resources. It it was, you know, he was doing it and mom's doing all the work, right? We just sort of access the supplies, had a little bit of basic understanding of what kinds of supplies might fit him best. And then just connected the two dots. And that, I mean, that part's difficult, frankly. And, you know, that's the the connection. And, you know, how do you pay for getting it into the country? How do you get it down to them? How do you, you know, all of those kind of things, those are all, you know you have to do the work there but that's we're already doing that work we're there and and, and I just think that follow up and that kind of resource building and all that and it just was one of those moments that you know it brings tears to your eyes to watch this this kiddo who you know had a certain set of circumstances now be free to be yeah. you know it's it, it's an un, unbelievable situation and it's incredibly gratifying but at the same time it's kind of frustrating right because you go that
0: it was just, that shouldn't it just happen. Needed that. Exactly. Yeah. That shouldn't
1: happen, right? And that's where I think you you said, you know, the question you started with what with wins, but that's also kind of you know one of the things I wouldn't call it a loss, but one of the things that just tugs all the time in this line of work is the the equity, right? And just the yeah. the, the the where you're born and the circumstances you're born into determining your access to that kind of care. <sighs> Yeah.
0: Exactly. Is, no, it's exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, somebody else was telling me he, he also has a nonprofit, um, works in Honduras, and he uses the phrase, you know, people who are in, like, well, not, like, good areas in the United States and the UK and, and, you know, higher developed countries, they've kind of won the lottery for where they were born. And you just like never know, cause like obviously, yep. I could have been born into a poor situation in India, you know. Yeah. Who,
1: who? Yeah. Makes that decision? Yeah. Like, exactly. Just, like don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it's um, yeah, it's just being aware yeah. that it's just being aware that those realities are are unbelievably different, right? Just, just that awareness is huge. Uh, you know, I, I think my, my youngest, so but my daughters are teenagers. Now I have a 14 year old and an almost 18 year old, and they've both gone on these trips with us on a couple of different occasions, which I love because early on in life, much earlier than I did, they're being exposed to sort of that difference. And, but I remember, you know, one of the trips that my youngest daughter was on, we had a patient who, she actually lives in the house. We use a courtyard for this clinic in this in this particular community. And, and this little girl lives in, in one of the houses and she is a sweet, super bright little girl. Um, but she has some, some, some facial asymmetry and she's got, you know, a little bit from a just phys, you know, from physical appearance. Look, she's got some, some situation there with, uh, with asymmetry, particularly facial and, and head. And, you know, we were talking about the condition, you know, of, of like a craniosynostosis situation, which, mm-hmm. which is not a terribly uncommon thing for us to see, but it's, it's a correctable issue. You just have to catch it early, right? You have to do, it's one yeah, of those right. things where if if that's not addressed, you know, before the child's six months, nine months, 12 months old, you know, you're, you you kind of missed your window and, and those kind of things. And so we happen to have a little boy here in the States that we, um see all of the time that our family's incredibly close to that was born with the same exact or developed very shortly after birth the same exact condition but had access to care and was fixed and you know you wouldn't you literally would never know that this child had that condition here and then a child with that exact same and and i just i remember when I explained, you know, we got home from clinic that day and my daughter said, well, tell tell me about that girl. And I said, you know, I, I think she has the same condition or had the same condition, you know, so-and-so had, and, and she just was able to, or she wasn't able to, to access the care. And I just, that, that moment of her seeing the discrepancy and seeing just the realities of where, where those two, yeah, exactly. Where those two children were born determined that whole thing. And that's just like, you know, that tugs, right? That's the hard part about this work. But you get to know her and she is an amazing girl. And so, and so there's, she has, she has a ton going on and we, we we always, we always enjoy seeing her every time we come to clinic.
0: Wow. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. This has been such a great, just such a great conversation. I do want to ask you one, maybe One point five questions. The last question I would I wanna ask you is just like, you know, where do you like what are you just most excited about in like the near future and one to two years down the line? And then the last question is just, how can people find you? You know, how can people connect with you and, you know, if there are anybody in the pediatric world out there who are listening to the podcast who want to come out Even if you're not in the pediatric world, you know, who wants to come and volunteer with Extra Mile, you know, how, how can they find you?
1: Yeah. Well, taking the first question um, first, I, what I'm really excited about is that now that we, at least in the communities that we've already established a relationship with, and I do, I do anticipate us growing into new communities, but especially in those locations that we're already have been working now for several years. I think we're now entering a stage where, like I mentioned earlier, building those programs that really are, you know, there's got to be an exit strategy here, right? Us being the primary care doctors for these children in perpetuity is not great medicine. It's not great service work. It's just, that's not the right solution. And so we try to view all of these relationships as a you know 10 year or 12 year relationship it's it's really it's get in there learn the community earn the trust you know develop those relationships and then the following couple years what can up. we build right what can we connect to the spot so that can be things like the vision program that's very easy easily you know passed on you can train you can sort of develop and you can leave A very intact and sustainable kind of thing that's going to work. And so that's just one small example, but we're entering that phase. And that's to me, super fun because there's a lot of thinking outside the box. How can we do this? We're starting to make connections with local physicians, local nurses, local dentists to say like, how can we bring you guys into the fold with these communities that are so amazing so that once we are ready to make that exit, you got, we know that we're leaving them in a better place with yeah. a, with a mm-hmm. system, right. That works. And so we're entering that phase. And that's what I'm most excited about because I think that that you always have to have your eye on, on long-term sustainable. And yeah. that's, you know, we we've now spent that handful of years on the front end to put ourselves in a position where we can do that. And we have partners that, I think are are so pivotal in that. I just can't thank enough as far as in, in country partners and folks that are working uh, with us are just unbelievable on that front. So I'm excited about that. And that's directly tied into our ability to grow into no, more communities. Once we have those or starting to build those systems that can then live on, we are freed up to then start to look and say, okay, where else can we go and where else can we set this up? So, so growth, but that's specifically when I say growth, that's the way I want to grow. Um, And then how folks can find us. We are at Extra Mile Pediatrics, all written out uh, and pretty much everywhere you can find us. So our website is extramilepediatrics.com. We have a fairly active Instagram account that's also just Extra Mile Pediatrics. And folks can connect there. You can see a little more information about the places we go. Uh, We have a very simple online application process that if you want to go on a trip, we try to have our dates for our upcoming trips out for at least about a year in advance because this takes some planning and takes some doing so you can right. find us there if you are in a place where you want to jump on board and help and just get get in this with us then you don't have to be as you mentioned you don't have to be medical we do take some non-medical volunteers on every trip certainly we're always looking for docs nurse practitioners physicians assistants nurses all the above to come with us and so if you do have a skill set in primary care like pediatrics, family medicine, and want to do this, we would love to connect with you because staffing, you know, at least four trips a year with at least four providers per trip and all that, you know, there's, we need the pool to be big. So, um, and then if you're not in a place where, where going is on in the cards right now, you know, you can support us financially and and just know that, that money is going to these types of programs and that kind of sustainable change. And, you know, that's, it's this, this game is all about resources and it's, it's about serving folks that don't have them. And it's about, about us having the, the resources we need to do that really effectively. So either or both ways that folks want to support would be unbelievably welcome. And we are, we are always humbled um, by the folks that, that, that support us. And so, yeah.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. And I can't wait to show you in person what we do.
0: Yay. (laughs) You know, a lot of people that I interview and stuff, like I've, you know, I've developed such good relationships with them and I've never met them in person. (laughs) So I'm so excited to (laughs) see you in person. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest, Head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode. There you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you loved this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.